the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 32 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is Part 1 of a two-part case. Listener caution is advised as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. I think I will get away with most of it. Those were the words uttered by a deputy church warden while he was in the custody of police. He was arrested when his second elderly lover in as many years was admitted to hospital. The first had died under somewhat mysterious circumstances. How had this man in his late twenties, who bore all the hallmarks of a God-fearing churchgoer, worked his way not only into the wills but also the beds of a 69-year-old man and 83-year-old woman who were neighbours on the same street. That was a puzzle Thames Valley Police were determined to solve. (laughs) 
Peter Farker passed away on October 26, 2015. He was 69 years old when he died. He lived in the quaint village of Maids Morton, located in northern Buckinghamshire. Peter had taught pupils English at Stowe School in Buckinghamshire and before that Manchester Grammar School. He authored several books. After he retired in 2004, he missed the social aspect of teaching, so he went on to become a guest lecturer at the University of Buckingham. He was described as in good health, still mentally sharp, and kept detailed journals in which he chronicled his life and thoughts. An intelligent and deeply religious man, Peter Farker had a substantial circle of friends and had seen much of the world. However, he struggled to reconcile both his faith and sexuality. He was worried he would die alone. But before his death, he met someone in April 2011, a former student of the University of Buckingham, where Peter had lectured. His partner, who gave sermons at church, asked for Peter's hand in marriage and the pair committed to a life together in a betrothal ceremony during March 2014. Peter kept a journal, and within its pages after the ceremony, he wrote it was one of the happiest moments of his life. An entry read, We took the train to London, to a church in Hammersmith. To have this wonderful young man in my life until I die, it was a beautiful day in London. God is good to me, far more than I deserve. Sadly, over the next 18 months, Peter slowly became ill. He looked gaunt and exhausted, sometimes struggling to form a sentence. To his friends, he appeared drunk. He was frequently up in the early hours, unsure of where he was or what was going on. He suffered night terrors. Many acquaintances were told by Peter that he was losing his mind. Peter would struggle to find his belongings, unsure of where he put them. He often fell over, unable to stand in his weakened state. Bruises marked his face. Peter was seen by several doctors that carried out numerous medical procedures to diagnose an illness they could not identify. When questioned what it might be, his partner said it could be dementia. He wasn't sure. He said he was struggling to care for Peter and was frequently on the phone to the emergency services. But despite his health issues, Peter Farker attempted to attend a gathering at Stowe School where he had previously worked as the head of English. Peter was there to launch one of his books. Onlookers witnessed a man unable to hold the pen correctly, too unwell to sign his name. Slouched in the chair, he appeared confused, a frail man who was slowly losing his grasp on reality. It was noted at one point that Peter thought he was being attacked by beams of light. He was later found in his living room on October 26, 2015 by his cleaner, a half-drunk whiskey bottle by his side, 
he was dead. A month later, a coroner, Richard Hullett, ruled that Peter's death was accidental. He had died as a result of acute alcohol intoxication. At the time, a pathologist confirmed that Peter Farker had consumed enough alcohol to be three times over the drink-drive limit. As hundreds of mourners paid their respects, his partner, who Peter Farker had dedicated his third and final book to, read the eulogy at Peter's funeral, held at Stowe Church. Peter Farker's estate was split between his surviving brother and his partner. Coincidentally, only a few doors down on Manor Park in Maids Morton, Anne Moore Martin was slowly finding herself falling in love. The retired headmistress in her early 80s couldn't believe that she had been so lucky to find someone so late in life. A model in her youth, Anne was born in Kent during the 1930s. She had owned the property on Manor Park for many years, initially looking after her mother there, and since 2003, when her mother had died, she lived there alone. Anne was single and had no children. She had survived cancer. Like her neighbour Peter Farker, who she knew well, she too was deeply religious. She also had a wide circle of friends. Anne would later be described as like a love-struck teenager. Her new partner proposed and gave her a framed picture of himself which took pride of place on Anne's dressing table. Below the photo in capital letters were written the words, I am always with you. This man, which Anne was now in a physical relationship with, gave her a hand counter, telling her to click the device every time she thought of him. Clickety-click, Anne wrote in one piece of handwritten correspondence telling her lover that the counter was being well used. Her partner appeared by all accounts to be a busy man. He too was religious, but was struggling financially. His car had broken down and he needed to buy a new one. Anne was only too happy to help with the cost. After all, she thought, you can't take money with you when you die. She handed over £4,400. Then tragedy struck. Anne's lover's brother was sick. He was diagnosed with a kidney condition, and if untreated, he could die. Much like her lover, Anne was distraught. What could they do? Anne was told that the young man's condition could be treated, but they would need to buy a dialysis machine. Where were they going to get the money? Anne was only too happy to help. She withdrew her savings. Hello, I'm thinking of withdrawing money held in my accounts. I have a very dear friend who's the brother of another very dear friend, and he's extremely ill, kidney difficulty, mm-hmm. and, and is likely to die if he doesn't have his own dialysis machine. Is actually quite um, urgent, really. In life, one must not be selfish and keep everything to yourself. It's just- 
to Anne, the amount of money seemed irrelevant. She parted with £27,000. In one piece of correspondence, she wrote to the young man in her life, asking about his brother. It read, I'm a bit concerned as I haven't heard from you since early this week. I hope all is well with you and also with Tom with his new machine. I know you are always so busy, but usually manage to keep in touch so kindly with me even for a short time. My hand tally counter is being well used, a minimum of 70 so far. Just to hear your voice. It's a delight, so I hope you can find a few minutes to get in touch. I do hope there is nothing wrong. All my love as always and forever. Anne was besotted. Before she handed over the money, she started to find profoundly religious messages written in white pen on the mirrors throughout her home. One such message read, All that you give him, he will return tenfold. A cross was drawn next to the writing and decided that she would change her will to benefit her new lover. Then she started to feel unwell, and the man in her life began to encourage her to think of suicide if things got too bad. He even gave her drugs to help her sleep. However, in February 2017, Anne was ill and had a seizure. She was rushed to hospital. While she was sat in bed, and told her niece about the relationship she was having, how she had given her lover money for his car, his sick brother, and how she found religious writing on the mirrors in the house. Anne's niece asked who this person was. Up until now, Anne had not told anyone about her relationship. His name was Benjamin Field. He was 57 years Anne's junior, and had been introduced to her by Peter Farker, her neighbour and friend. Field appeared to be every bit the upstanding young man who gave sermons in his father's Baptist church. Anne's niece was shocked, as she could not reconcile the person her aunt was describing with the young, charming, caring and religious person that Field appeared to be, not least as he had taken a considerable amount of money from an elderly woman. Something did not seem right. Anne's niece, Anne-Marie Blake, contacted the police who began an investigation. Anne-Moore Martin was heartbroken, realising that she had been lied to. She was tortured by it and found it very difficult to get her head around the betrayal, her niece would later say. Benjamin Field went to Anne Moore Martin's home following her admission to hospital, and by chance her niece had also turned up. The pair spoke with Field admitting that yes, he received money from Anne, and acknowledged that she had changed her will, but he told Anne's niece that he was in love with Anne. Field then attempted to visit Anne in hospital. However, following advice from the police, he was denied access. Field even rang the authorities to find out what had happened. He said, A friend of mine was admitted to hospital. 
and when I called the hospital and tried to visit, security have said that I can't see her and for more information I need to contact the police. I was calling to see if I could find out anything or what had been said about me, what the situation was. Three months later, on May 12, 2017, Anne Moore Martin died of natural causes. At the time, Benjamin Field was unaware that the police were now conducting an investigation into the deaths of not only Anne Moore Martin, but her neighbour Peter Farker. Peter Farker's body was exhumed 19 months after his death and a consultant forensic pathologist would later submit that Peter Farker died as a result of the combined effects of alcohol and fluorazepam, a derivative of benzodiazepine, which acts as a muscle relaxant and sedative. Along with other sedatives, there were also traces of lorazepam used to treat anxiety. Detectives believed it could very well be that Peter Farker was smothered to death after he was sedated. Police also thought that Field was gaslighting Peter, a term which is best described as the psychological manipulation of someone, so they start to question their own sanity. The term originates from a play titled Gaslight, or Angel Street in the United States, produced in the late 1930s. The character convinces his wife that she is imagining things in order to cover up his criminal activities. After Benjamin Field's arrest, the mystery only deepened. The police were alleging he had carried out the crimes with two other men. Three men have been arrested in connection with the deaths of two pensioners in Maids Morton, a village of just 800 people near Milton Keynes and Oxford. While police say the cause of their death is not known, house searches are underway and the three men arrested remain in custody. Two on suspicion of conspiracy to murder. Now, there's nothing to suggest that uh, these deaths were being treated as suspicious at the time uh, that they happened, but uh, police activity uh, has been taking place over recent months. Uh, I spoke to one neighbour who said that he gave a statement uh, a few months ago to the police who came here asking about any suspicious activity in the area, any suspicious vehicles, and he reported having seen uh, a car parked outside here on a number of occasions. So he gave a statement about that, but at the time the police said to him, that it was uh, an investigation into possible distraction burglaries. Well, that's not what uh, the police, Thames Valley Police, are saying today about the nature of their inquiry. They've confirmed that they are treating these deaths as a murder investigation. Uh, They said that four properties are being searched as part of that investigation, one in Milton Keynes, one in Toaster... Benjamin Field was born in the early 90s, raised in Market Harbour, Leicestershire, before his family, which included his younger brother and older sister, moved to the village of Olney near Milton Keynes. His mother worked for the district council, and his father was a Baptist minister, a member of the ordained clergy who led the local congregation. Like his father, Field seemed to everyone that he was a staunch Christian, had plans to become a vicar and at the time of his arrest was a deputy church warden 
He had been welcomed with open arms by worshippers at Stowe Parish Church. Following Field's arrest, Guy Ellsmore, Archdeacon of Buckingham, told a reporter for the BBC, This was a young man who presented himself as faithful and friendly and helpful and was in fact the opposite of those things. Benjamin Field had met Peter Farker in 2011, and after reading Peter's journals, police discovered it was possible that the physical element of their relationship could have begun at some point during September 2013, as Peter referenced Field staying at his home. Field told Peter that although he had had several girlfriends in the past, he was committing himself fully and asked for Peter's hand in marriage on his birthday during January 2014. The pair moved in together. Benjamin Field had met Peter's family and told them Peter wasn't very well. When the family weren't around, Field was trying to convince Peter that he was an alcoholic and needed treatment. Between April and September 2015, Peter was admitted numerous times to hospital. At the beginning of October, he was rushed to the emergency room after it was suspected he had taken an overdose of drugs and alcohol. Peter said he could not remember taking any substances and was most certainly not suicidal. He was found dead just over three weeks later. Not only did Benjamin Field receive a share in Peter's property in Maids Morton, but he also received a cash payout. He bought a flat for around £100,000 in Toaster, a market town in Northamptonshire. When police entered the property, following Field's arrest, the home was in disarray. The kitchen was almost inaccessible as several pushbikes had been left in front of the cooker and washing machine. Papers, books, clothing and gym equipment were strewn across the floor. Dirt lined the walls of the kitchen, with food and drink packaging covering the tabletops. Before Peter Farker's death, Benjamin Field had already set his sights on his next victim, and more Martin. They had been introduced in November 2014, a year before Peter died. Like Peter, she too was wealthy, financially independent, and had no children. The relationship between Anmore Martin and Benjamin Field turned physical only one month after Peter's death, if Field's journals are to be believed. The pair wrote letters and poems professing their love for one another. In one letter, Field wrote to Anne, I love you. I long to make a life with you. Field also labelled himself and Anne the Owl and the Pussycat, a reference to the poem by Edward Lear. The poem recounts the love between the two animals. Field used this as an analogy to highlight that even though their relationship was unconventional due to the age gap, love comes in all shapes and sizes. Field would select films for the couple to watch, 
which often included a romantic relationship between a younger man and an older woman. Like Peter, Anne thought she was in a loving, caring relationship. While she had plans to move from Maids Morton, selling her property to be with her family in another part of the country, Benjamin Field stepped in. He coerced Anne to stay, creating a divide between her and her family. She started to withdraw. As the end of 2016 approached, Field slowly put more pressure on Anne to change her will so he would receive some financial benefit when she died. He developed an idea to coerce Anne into giving away her home to him. Field documented his plans in books, journals and on his personal computer. Messages began to appear on mirrors in Anne's home, which looked to have come from God. Benjamin Field told his older lover that he too had received those same messages. Based on this, Anne not only changed her will, but also cashed in her savings to purchase Field a car and a dialysis machine for his brother. Instructing her solicitor Diana Davis, Anne requested that her will be changed. However, the solicitor was certain something was amiss, as she was already aware that Field had previously inherited a property only several doors down from Anne. Once the money was handed over to Field, Anne slowly began to fall ill. Her health deteriorated before she suffered a seizure in February 2017. At this point, Field returned to Anne's home and removed anything incriminating. Once she realised what Benjamin Field had done, Anne changed her will. She passed away a few months later. Anne's family say she was a gentle, beautiful soul, while Peter's say he was robbed of all that was precious to him. Both were intelligent and independent, but police say it shows people can still be vulnerable, even in a village as idyllic as this. Andrew used to help Anne with her gardening and is horrified by what happened to her. She's just a lovely lady, really nice lady. It's beggar's belief that she's no longer around. You just don't believe anybody could be like that. Especially in a little community like this. It's, it's not heard of. It's, it's worrying and it's frightening and it's really upsetting. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. 
That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Following an investigation, Operation Naseby, in the third week of January 2018, Field and two other men were arrested in connection with the deaths of both Peter Farker and Anne Moore Martin. Their identities were not revealed in the media, other than their ages and the charges they faced. Field, aged 27, who was registered as living at his flat in Toaster, Northamptonshire, and a 31-year-old man from Red Ruth in Cornwall was suspected of committing murder, conspiracy to murder, fraud by false representation, conspiracy to defraud, and burglary. A 22-year-old from Milton Keynes was also arrested on suspicion of conspiracy to defraud and one count of suspicion to commit fraud by false representation. Their homes were searched as the inquiry continued, and the men were released on conditional bail. As news reached the quiet village where the victims lived, locals were interviewed about the neighbours who had died 18 months apart, unaware of the connection they shared. 87-year-old neighbour Betty Cook said, Peter was the nicest man you could meet, a real gentleman. He took a man in as a lodger, and I didn't see much of Peter after that. Anne was a very quiet, gentle woman. We had forensic people in the village day and night. The last time they spoke to me, I told the policeman that Peter was such a healthy man, but he seemed to go downhill, and I couldn't understand why, because he was so fit before. There was little movement on the case until the start of November 2018 when Benjamin Field and one of the men questioned in January were rearrested and appeared before a High Wycombe magistrate. Along with Field, who was now living in Olney with his parents, Martin Smith, a part-time magician from Red Ruth in Cornwall, also appeared in court. The two men were charged with conspiracy to murder both Peter Farker and Anne Moore Martin, 
the attempted murder of Anmore Martin and the murder of Peter Farker. The unlikely pair would remain in police custody and appear at Oxford Crown Court a few days later. Benjamin Field also faced charges of burglary and fraud. The fraud charges related to a false claim that another man, Tom Field, Benjamin Field's brother, required a dialysis machine due to a kidney problem. Tom Field would also go on to face a charge of fraud by false representation. An only resident who remained nameless said, It is a huge shock to hear our minister's sons have been arrested. Reverend Field and his wife are the nicest people you could possibly meet. They seem the perfect family, and they do so much good locally. Everybody is hoping this is all a dreadful mistake. It was reported that Benjamin Field and Martin Smith were in the process of creating a documentary about Peter Farker that would cover his life and career. Peter had been flattered after they contacted his friends and family. The documentary was to be called The Moral of the Story, the literature of Peter Farker. Field and Smith had already set up a company, Farker Studios, through which they had helped Peter publish some of his previously unseen writings. A Wide Wide Sea was in fact the first book Peter Farker had written, but remained unpublished until he was persuaded to release it in 2015. Martin Smith and Benjamin Field had listed themselves as joint directors of Farker Studios, though the company dissolved in November 2016 after Peter Farker's death. As the trial approached, due to take place in April 2019, towards the end of March, via video link, Benjamin Field admitted to conspiracy to commit fraud. Field acknowledged that he had convinced the neighbours Peter and Anne that he was in genuine, caring relationships with them. While both Field and Martin Smith continued to deny the murder and conspiracy to commit murder charges, Field also admitted to several instances of burglary, stealing alcohol, three antique rifles and a bayonet. Benjamin Field's brother Tom Field continued to deny a single charge of fraud. The trial began on May 1st, 2019 at Oxford Crown Court. Over the course of three months, the jury would hear of the defendant's plans to befriend vulnerable individuals, getting them to change their will before they died. Benjamin Field and Martin Smith were accused of murdering Peter Farker at his home and conspiring to murder Anne Moore Martin before she died of natural causes. The plan the prosecutor described was to make the deaths look accidental through the use of drugs and alcohol. Oliver Saxby QC prosecuting told the jury, The motive was financial gain. 
laced as far as Benjamin Field is concerned, with a profound fascination in controlling and manipulating and humiliating and killing. Benjamin Field had compiled various notes and sought to inherit the properties owned by both Peter Farker and Anne Moore Martin. In what the prosecutor described as Field's grand design, Oliver Saxby QC said, This was a project. Befriend a vulnerable individual. Get them to change their will and then make sure they died. And it is a project he seems to have relished devising and managing and executing, and to an extent documenting, in various notes and diaries he made. Indeed, piecing things together, it is clear that his project became his life's work, a life's work of which he was proud and for which he admired himself. Oliver Saxby QC went on to say, And why? Because by then he had deceived each into changing their will, so he inherited their respective houses. If he was to inherit their houses, they had to die, and if he was to enjoy his inheritance, he had to get away with it. According to the prosecutor, Peter Farker was suffocated. Still, Field was unable to enact his planned demise for Anne Moore Martin when her niece became involved. Reading from Field's own diaries, the defendant had listed multiple ways in which he planned Anne Moore Martin's death. These included heart attack, dehydration, a fall down the stairs, during sex, in the bath, from prescription drugs, in her sleep. It was being alleged by the prosecutor that Martin Smith assisted Benjamin Field, quote, on the fringes with the planned murder attempts, and Field's brother Tom acted unwell, deceiving Anne Moore Martin into believing that he was extremely ill. Anne had given Benjamin Field tens of thousands of pounds under the impression he would be purchasing the medical equipment to help his brother. Benjamin Field had used Peter Farker's religious beliefs against him and spiked his food and drink with hallucinogenic drugs. Becoming increasingly more unsteady, Peter struggled to walk. In Benjamin Field's diaries, he documented the hallucinations and night terrors that Peter Farker suffered. Along with the drugs laced in Peter's food, his drinks were topped up with high-strength alcohol or ethanol. The jury were informed by Oliver Saxby QC, quote, Peter Farker underwent various humiliations, culminating in a doctor advising that all alcohol should be removed from his house and he should abstain from drinking. Peter Farker was not an alcoholic, nor was he suffering from dementia, nor did he have any other form of disease of the mind. Benjamin Field, who wrote copious notes on his computer, authored a document which described his initial intentions. Titled, An Email About Peter, a section read, At the end of term, I called Peter and invited myself over. The reasons for this are manifold, but centre on career-minded avarice. I wanted to work at the university where he was a guest lecturer 
or at Stowe School where he had been the head of English for 21 years, etc. So I went over and was amusing and cheered the poor man up. He retired early, to be a novelist and his day-to-day existence was lonely. Note, later in our friendship I edited his second novel for him and suggested that we collaborate on a book. This is once again my own ambition seeking to exploit both Peter's vanity and his desire for companionship. Time passed. I saw Peter again and again. He once came to Olney, and I showed him round the various churches and spoke about the history of the Baptist Christian tradition in Britain, blah blah. Typically, though, I would visit him during a free hour or two while I was in Buckingham anyway, and he would make us a meal. I had and still have a very clear model of relationships, reciprocity or mutuality, which is vulgarly commercial. He gives me things, and he gets me for a length of time. Historical example. He lets me stay in the spare room, makes me dinner and breakfast, and in exchange, he wins at chess and feels a little less lonely. This is needlessly cruel, of course. I do like the man and appreciate some of the things he's done for me. However, that's not really an interesting thing to say. In a truly heartbreaking piece of evidence, the journal which Peter Farker had written described how it was wonderful holding Benjamin Field in his arms. He wrote that Field was warm and loving, and would bring him a cup of tea in the morning. The journal also described how Peter was starting to feel unwell, unable to walk his dog. This was around five months before he died. By this time it was being postulated by the prosecution that Field was regularly lacing Peter Farker's food and drinks with drugs. Peter believed he was slowly losing his grip on reality. Peter Farker took part in a betrothal ceremony to Benjamin Field. A picture of the two men was shown to the jury. Peter, dressed in a smart suit, shirt and tie with a gold cross around his neck, placing a kindly hand on Benjamin Field's shoulder. Field in spectacles is smiling to the camera. He too has a small black cross around his neck, dressed in a cream pullover. A month before Peter Farker died, Benjamin Field made a call to 111, a non-emergency National Health Service helpline for advice or medical treatment. On the call which was played to the jury, Field told the operator that Peter had fallen, striking his head. Here is audio from that call. Are you calling for yourself or someone else? I'm calling on behalf of someone else. Okay, what is your name? My name is Ben Field. And what is the best number to call back on? Uh, That would be this number. Okay. All right, my name's Candy. I'm a call handler. Can I get the reason for the call? Absolutely. I'm calling because um, Mr. Farker has fallen and struck his head and has a small um, uh, skin tear, about two centimetres long and not terribly deep, but it is on his head and I'm not sure uh, really how best to proceed. I don't, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure. It doesn't seem very serious to me, but it is, you know, on his head. And so I was just uh, 
you know, I'm sort of seeking best advice, really. Okay, what I can do is offer an assessment for the head injury. Some questions may not seem relevant, but I need to ask them all just to be safe and thorough. All right? Absolutely, that's perfect. Okay, can you confirm he's breathing and conscious? He's breathing and he's conscious. Has he lost heavy blood from anywhere in the last 30 minutes? No. Is he fighting desperately for every breath? No. Is his temperature normal on the skin of his chest or back? Um, his, yes, his temperature is normal. Okay. And how did he manage to fall? Was there a faint or a blackout before the fall, or what exactly happened? Um, it's a, a coordination issue. He, he's prone to falls. So, uh, he's, he's, he falls frequently because of, uh, uh, you know, uh, something that's as yet undiagnosed, but probably a dementia. Okay. Um, so he fall, he's, he's a frequent faller, I'm afraid. All right. Now, with his head, you said it's penetrating, so was there any this blood being lost, or it has broken the skin, basically? Um, there is blood, there is, yes, there has been blood loss. Not, not a good, not much. Benjamin Field later began a romantic relationship with Anne Moore Martin. Field planned to kill his 83-year-old lover by a number of means, just as long as it looked like an accident. When Field's home was searched following his arrest, police found several books, receipts and DVDs, which although on their own did not necessarily point to guilt, they did raise a few eyebrows. They included a receipt for The Five Last Acts, a book that details options and methods for rational suicide, a booklet entitled End of Life, the books Easing the Passing and The Savage God which deal with suicide and death, and finally a copy of the film A Young Poisoner's Handbook, a black comedy based on the life and crimes of the teacup poisoner, Graham Young. This is the end of episode 32. To hear more on the crimes of Benjamin Field, the trial and the outcome of the case, please tune in next week. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Information on this episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions, including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.